Today we're going to talk about being at home with Mary and Martha, and I'm not talking about Martha Stewart, although I've loved, I don't know if you've seen some of the Martha Stewart parodies that are out there, you know, where she writes on the paper and she cut the trees down, made the pulp, and made the paper that morning. We're not talking about that Martha, we're talking about the Martha of the Bible. But uh, let's pray. Can we just take a moment and pray? Father, we gather together in the name of Jesus, your Son, and we come here to bring praise and glory to you. Lord, for most people that are here today, most of us know you, and we walk with you day by day. Your presence is with us, and your Spirit lives in us. But there's something about coming together with your people and experiencing your presence together. Lord, also, there, there's something about hearing the Word together and responding to the Word. And I just pray that you would give us hearts that are open to all that you have for us today, that you would lead us, that you would speak to us, that you would confirm in our hearts everything that you want to say today. I thank you, Lord, that your word is so honest. You tell stories in the word and you don't varnish anything. You just put out there exactly what happens. And this is one of those stories today. So speak to us and let your Holy Spirit apply this word to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to talk about the story of two sisters, Mary and Martha. And of course, they had a famous brother, that Lazarus, that Most of us know about that story in the Bible. But if you can imagine with me for a minute what it was like to be close friends with Jesus. Jesus had friends. He had people that he would stay in their home. He was closer to them. We know a little bit about a few of them. But this... These three, these two uh, sisters and brother, we know more about what happened in their home because there were some life-changing things, some world-shaking things that happened in their home. But something I appreciate about the Word, and I prayed it a moment ago, we see a very honest portrayal of deep struggles that relationships experience. How many of you have had uh, adventures with brothers or sisters in your life? You don't have to raise your hand. It's probably, if you're a human being, you can probably relate to Mary and Martha Uh, And the Bible record is very honest here. We see uh, jealousy, we see resentment, we see offense, we see grief, and of course we see amazing joy and delight. And uh, it's in some of the different stories we see with with these two ladies. um, It's just very interesting. So many of us can identify with Mary at the funeral of her brother Lazarus. Can you imagine believing, putting all your faith in the Son of God, and knowing that He is the resurrection and the life? And saying, Jesus, you could have showed up a couple days ago and my brother wouldn't have died. And she just says it right out to him. I mean, there's a kind of honesty in that relationship. Can I tell you that our relationship with Jesus should be the same way? After all, he knows what you're thinking anyway, so you might as well talk to him and be honest, right? We we can be very religious sometimes and pretend that God can't see us. That's the way the, the heart of all bad religion is thinking that God can't see us in certain places. He knows where you are all the time. He knows what you're thinking. He knows the intents of your heart, and he loves you anyway. So you might as well talk to him and be honest with him. So here, Mary in that story comes out, and Martha's the one that's hanging back at home in this one. Well, the story we're going to look at today in Luke 10, it's Martha that has a bit of a crisis. So I don't think it's uh, just there was something wrong with Martha. I think that She's, she's not a flawed disciple. I think she's just like the rest of us. And this is something that happened in her day that can speak to all of us. What do we know about Martha? We know that she's the owner of the house. It says that it was Martha's house. She was probably the oldest of the siblings. And uh, you might ask the question, could women, women inherit property? 
in that culture? Amazingly, they did. It was different than many of the other cultures around. Women could own and inherit uh, property. Uh, you might remember even 800 years before that, it was Lot, uh, not Lot, it was um, Caleb's daughter that uh, bargained with him about the inheritance. She said, I want the, the part of the land with the well so we can have a well on our property. And he gave it to her. So Jewish law is a little bit different. In this case, Martha's the oldest of the uh, siblings, and she's the one that's named as the person who um, is the owner of the house. Certainly one who offered hospitality to Jesus had to be a pretty good person. And for Jesus to come into her home and, and be there with her, uh, I think often Martha's portrayed as a bad lady or a lady that's got problems. I don't think that's the issue at all. I think we misunderstand the story. Could it be that there's more to the story of Mary and Martha than what you first got when you heard it in Sunday school, those of you that heard it as little kids? I think there's a lot more to this story, and we're going to look at that today. We're going to take it verse by verse today. And uh, this is not part of the series I was doing, but I reserve the right to allow the Holy Spirit to break in at any given moment. And I am praying that God will speak to your heart because I think he's got a message for us today. Verse 38, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. One pastor asked the kids in a Sunday school class, they said, what would you do if Jesus came to your house? And one little girl said, I put the Bible out on our coffee table. (laughs) It's pretty hard to hide when Jesus comes to your house. When he comes to your house, we want him to stay in the living room, and he follows us around to the kitchen, the bedroom, and he says, I want to be the Lord of everything. He comes into your house, and uh, once you let Jesus in your house, your life will never be the same, okay? Well, most of us have heard the story about Mary and Martha many times. Martha is often portrayed as a bad woman, but it says Martha opened her home to Jesus. So imagine what it was like to be Jesus' friend and say, Jesus, whenever you're in town, whenever you're on the way to Jerusalem, and their house was probably about six miles outside, maybe not even that far, Bethany, and outside of Jerusalem, Jesus would stop and often stay there. And of course, Lazarus, soon to be famous. And um, so we get the impression Jesus may have stopped at their house many times. Verse 39 says this, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now in this story, Mary is totally focused on Jesus. And it's interesting because this story is different than later when Lazarus dies. Mary's kind of avoiding Jesus. Well, here she's at his feet and she's sitting at his feet, totally focused on the Lord. She apparently drops all her responsibility to sit at the feet of Jesus. Can you imagine sitting at the feet of Jesus? Can you imagine listening to stories, having the Son of God speak into your life? Can you imagine what it would be like to be in his presence? Imagine seeing and hearing the living word of God right before your eyes. Now, we don't know if Mary and Martha had a history of disagreement, because some of us know that brothers and sisters have a tendency to disappear when work needs to be done. We won't mention mention any names, but I can tell that some of us have had siblings where all of a sudden it's like, where's so-and-so? And it just happens, okay? This is, this, is, this is so real. You need to forgive them. We're moving there, okay? Mm. Hallelujah. We can stop there and have communion. <laughs> Verse 40. But it says, But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, Martha's not the first one that goes to Jesus to try to convince him to be part of working out things with brothers and sisters. 
Remember the one guy that came up to Jesus and said, Lord, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. You know, we want Jesus to do what we want to do. That's praying those prayers that are our agenda sometimes instead of his. But Martha says something that a lot of us think sometimes. Jesus, don't you see me? Don't you see where I am? Don't you see my predicament? Martha goes right out and says, Lord, I'm, I'm going to stop this thing right now. Here's Mary sitting at your feet having a good time. Don't you see what I'm doing, that I'm doing all the work here? How many of you would say I've had those moments? And you ask the question, doesn't Jesus see what I'm doing? Does he appreciate my work? Does he appreciate what I'm doing? Does he appreciate my sacrifices for him? Now remember, one of the principles of Scripture, God requires obedience rather than sacrifice. Which is interesting. So God has a different set of standards for what is right than we do. Sometimes we want to give God what is valuable to us, and he wants us to give him what's valuable to him, and that's obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. And we talk about making disciples in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. It says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. The Lord wants us to learn to obey him, because obedience in the Lord is the safest place in the universe. Obedience in the Lord is where God created us to be. When we are following his word, stepping in his steps. But it says Martha was distracted. What does it mean to be distracted? Can I tell you that the enemy of our soul, Satan, one of his greatest weapons is not to take you out entirely. It's just to distract you enough that you're not in the moment. If he can distract you from hearing what God is saying, if he can distract you from responding to what the Lord is doing, and if he can keep your eyes looking at something else besides looking at what God wants you to look at, then he can take you out. He can take you out of the moment. So distraction is a very powerful thing. It means to lose our focus on the main thing. And I get that from what Jesus says. I'm going to read that in a moment. But our eyes are taken elsewhere. Something else about distraction that I've noticed, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when you're distracted, your field of vision closes down. And you don't see peripherally. You don't see the things around you. You can't see the other people around you. You can't see what God is doing around you. Because distraction means that you're looking at one particular thing and it shuts down everything else around you. All of your energy, all of your bandwidth, so to speak, is going to that one thing, the distraction. And that's a, that's a terrible thing if you think about it. When you are distracted, you're in a very vulnerable place. When you're distracted, you can't hear the voice of God. Sometimes he tries to get through to us, but we're distracted. It means we've lost our clear direction. Martha was thinking about one thing and one thing only. What was that? Serving. Serving. Work. I think more than anything, Martha was offended. I think she was, she was really bugged that her sister was sitting there with Jesus. And she was having to do all the work. To be distracted means that we're usually obsessed with something. Martha could not even do her work right. I don't think she was really focused on her work. When you're distracted, your work is not even good. Okay, we, this is where we tend to missee the story here. I don't think the problem was that Martha was working. I think the problem is that Martha was offended. 
okay? We often make it about Martha working and said, if she just didn't work and sat at Jesus' feet, everything would have been okay. I don't think that's the issue. I think we're reading a little bit into the story there. When we're distracted, we can't get our mind off of it. And Martha was offended that her sister wouldn't help her. All Martha could think about was making preparations for a meal, and she wasn't getting any help. Now, let me stop here and ask a question. Did Martha have a just cause in this? Did she have a just issue? I think so. You have to ask the question, was Mary supposed to be working with her? Had Mary made a commitment to work with her? Did Mary usually help her make the preparations? I kind of know what's going on in Martha's heart because at times I have wanted to do my best and we don't want to be embarrassed. We want to put our best out before the Lord. But we can get distracted sometimes in the middle of doing what we're doing, even thinking we're doing something for God. And because we're distracted, we lose our joy and we lose our sense of purpose and we're totally lost in where God wants us to be. Here's the question I want you to ask. What do we choose to look at in the reality of the moment? Facts are facts, but we are the ones that choose the perspective. And we choose how we're going to respond. Years ago, I was on staff with a pastor, and he was a really funny guy. Um, Sometimes his jokes were a little over the top. He told me that there was a family that had visited the church and he wanted me to go visit them. They were all the way up near Chardon. So that was a long way from our church in Kent. So I drove in there and um, he said, yeah, it's uh, uh, Eileen and um, Ben Dover. And uh, so I'm getting up there and there's no house number and there's no street up there in Chardon. And I'm thinking, Eileen Dover and Ben Dover. (laughs) I said, He tricked me. I'm out here in the middle of nowhere looking for people that don't even exist. Another time he showed up at the service and he had these glasses on and they had a little squirt gun in the middle. And uh, it was when the mobile mics first came out where you could walk around. And he waited for somebody to fall asleep and he'd go out and he'd squirt them while he was preaching. I don't think I have to do that here, but I'm keeping an eye on you. But he said to me one day, I said... He said, how are you doing? And I said, well, under the circumstances, he said, stop right there. What are you doing under the circumstances? I said, okay, I'm supposed to learn something here, but I don't know what to say next. <laughs> he says, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He says, never live under the circumstances, live on top of the circumstances, and be in touch with God. I want you to think about that. See, what happened is Martha was living under the circumstances there. And there were facts that spoke to a real offense, a real injustice. But in the process, she had lost touch with what the Lord was saying to her and what God could do in the situation. Verse 41, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. When I was reading the scripture, the Lord began to stir my heart, and he said, you've only seen one thing here. He said, what the Lord says to her, she was worried and upset about many things. I want you to go back and look at this and find out what the many things were. What are the many things that she was upset about? Verse 42, it says, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What had Mary chosen? A total focus 
on the Lord in that moment. By the way, I don't think Jesus was saying Mary was right and Martha was wrong. Martha was wrong because her heart was wrong. So Jesus answers Martha, and he says, you're upset about many things. Only one is important. Only one is necessary, is what the Lord says to her. So let's look at the problems that Martha was dealing with. The first problem is, is that she had taken offense against her sister. We already asked the question, was Martha right to be angry? Perhaps, but how she handled her anger was the problem. She could have said to herself, look at my sister. She's so touched by the Lord right now. You know what? I can do this work. God is doing something. Jesus is doing something with her, and I just need to, I just need to serve the Lord with joy here and allow my sister to have this interaction with Jesus. I can spend time with the master later. Maybe I can make a deal and say, Mary, you clean up, and I'll spend with Jesus, time with Jesus after supper. Martha could have talked to Mary privately and have shared her feelings, but instead it had gotten to the point where Martha was totally obsessed with this. What happens for most of us, like Martha, is we take offense and we keep our feelings deep inside until finally it blows up. Isn't that true? And that's not right. By the way, anger is a gauge that tells us there's something wrong in our lives. Anger is not sin in itself, but the Bible says the anger of man will not bring about the righteousness of God. How we deal with our anger makes a difference. Anger is an indication that there's something in your heart that needs to be dealt with that you need to stop and deal with it in a righteous way. And usually it means to be honest with somebody in your life that's broken your boundaries or somebody that has sinned against you and go work it out with them. And sometimes it means that you need to set up a boundary and get out of a relationship because it's making you angry and you're enabling a person or a situation that God never asked you to be in. But instead, we allow things to fester in our heart and we lose our perspective and we lose our our vision in the Lord. It was probably good that Martha went to uh, talk to Jesus about this. And I think it's something that's allowed the Lord to bring this up to us. When we allow our offense to turn to bitterness instead of speaking the truth in love, God can't bless that part of our life. It literally shuts down a whole part of our life. God cannot bless offense. This is why when the Lord gave us a daily prayer, the Lord's Prayer, we call it, from Matthew 6, it says that daily we need to release those who have sinned against us. Does that mean people are going to offend you daily? Probably. (laughs) I mean, think about it. What did I say last? I think last week I said it. Christianity is a full contact sport. It can't be lived alone. It's not just you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus and all the other disciples. You can't be who God wants you to be unless you learn to walk with Peter, James, John, Judas. Levi, the tax collector, that guy that used to take your money. I mean, these are disciples. We're all in process. Well, Jesus I can get along with, but it's those other people that... No, I'm I'm serious. I know people literally that will not go to a church because they don't want to get hurt. So they sit at home and listen to stuff, listen to tapes, they listen to video, they watch stuff, and they say, I'm just going to connect to God that way. Well, I've got to tell you, you won't grow. And Mary and Martha, in the by the way, anytime there's a conflict in your life, what is it? It's an opportunity to grow. Whether it's a conflict at work or a conflict in your marriage or a conflict in your family, Instead of thinking that you're having conflict, it's the end of the world, think, what is God wanting me to see? How is he wanting me to grow in this moment? 
And I believe God wanted to do something in Martha's heart in that moment. He was speaking to her. He was working in her. He was teaching her through this whole thing. But if we're offended, God can't bless that. In, in fact, when we, can't, we cannot even hear God when we're offended. It shuts down the voice of the Lord in our life. Like I said, distraction is one of the greatest tools of the enemy, and he uses offense to take people out of God's will and out of the ways of God all the time. We stop listening to his voice. By the way, once you're offended, Satan can steer you any way he wants. And you're not even aware that he's at work, and he will use you to bring destruction in other people's lives. The second thing I want to say about Martha is she had lost the most important thing, her connection to Jesus and the people she loved. Two of the most important things in her life, her relationship with Jesus and her relationship with her sister. This is exactly where the devil wants us to be. The Lord's Prayer says we need forgiveness daily, and it's true. We need to continue to release people in forgiveness. Now, that doesn't mean you you continue to let people walk all over you. There are some people we have to draw a boundary and say, I just can't walk with you because you're continuing to do ungodly things. Okay? But there are other times when there's a, a teachable moment and we can learn and grow and move on from that. Now, when we forgive doesn't mean the emotions go away immediately. Don't you wish they did? Forgiveness is an act of the will. When we say to somebody, I choose to release you and forgive you for what happened, even though the feelings are still there. And maybe this is why when Peter asked Jesus, how many times should we forgive our uh, people that have offended us? And Jesus says 70 times 7 or 70 times 70, however you interpret that scripture. That's a lot of forgiveness. What he was saying is you need to continue to forgive them because forgiveness is not so much for them. It's about the condition of your heart and it's about your connection and your relationship with Jesus. Forgiveness releases our heart. As long as you hold on forgiveness, you're connected to the person who offended you in a very unhealthy way. It's almost like there's a a cord that ties your heart to theirs. And why are you giving that person space in your life that offended you? And yet for many of us, a lot of the the room in our heart, so to speak, a lot of the furniture is taken up by people that we think about that have offended us again and again. Is this true? Okay, you're awfully quiet today. I don't think Martha sinned because she was working in that moment. I don't think Jesus was saying she should have stopped all her preparations. I think what he was saying is, whatever she was doing, she should have done to the glory of God with a heart full of joy. God wants our work to be an act of worship to him. We can choose to serve with joy and focus on the Lord, or we can serve with complaining and a bad attitude. Imagine if Martha had prepared that entire meal, worshiping God in her heart, saying, I'm so glad that Jesus is in my home, and thank God that Mary's having this encounter with the Savior. And that I get an opportunity to serve and prepare food for them. I want to tell you, I've been in the homes of people where they have prepared the most amazing meal. The food is exquisite. The drink is exquisite. Everything is amazing. Everything is put together beautifully. But because they're so nervous and distracted, I haven't enjoyed the meal. I've been in the homes of people. I've been, especially in different countries in the world where people don't have as much. And I've tasted food that has love in it. 
Sometimes Janice makes something and I'll say, Janice, you put that special ingredient. There's love in this because you have a joy. That's something God's created you to do. And when you cook, it's with a joy and giving and love. When we live our lives like Martha and we're so distracted by things that we've lost the joy of doing everything as unto the Lord. Can I tell you that our work should be worship to God? Everything we do should be worship to the Lord. As I was getting ready for this this week, I said, Lord, what do you want to say to people this week? What do you want to say? He's saying there are a lot of people that don't want to get up on Monday morning. And they have no joy in what they do because they've lost a connection to me. They think it's because the conditions they work in. They think it's because of injustices. But instead, the real reason is because they become offended and because they think they're not getting a fair break and they're just not experiencing my joy in what they do. Is that true for some of us today? So my theory is Martha could have had joy in preparing that meal all along and it could have been a celebration and a win for everybody. All she could have said is, Mary, would you mind cleaning up so I can spend some time with Jesus? But sometimes our heart gets wrapped up around the wrong things. Colossians 3, 12 through 17 We've been reading this. We've actually been doing parts of it over the last two weeks, and now I want to add the last verse here. But I want to read the whole thing because I want you to see how it flows. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I want to stop there, and I I want you to think about your workplace and what you do for a living. When you get dressed in the morning, do you go out and think, I'm going to go out with a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? And then my attitude is going to be this. I'm going to bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Have a heart that is full of humility, ready to forgive, instead of ready to be offended. And right now, the spirit of this age, the spirit of this world is a spirit of offense. I don't know if you've noticed that. But people are ready to be offended at any given moment. There's this, there's this spirit of offense out there, and people are on edge, and they're ready to get offended. And I've been going out ever since I read this several weeks ago. I've been going out with this attitude. I am, I am set. I am ready to forgive. It's, I've always known that, but it's a new perspective. Instead of being offended, I'm, I'm going out, and I want to go out with a heart of forgiveness and show that to people. Is this hitting you? Okay. It says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And by the way, why do we forgive people? Because they're worthy of being forgiven. Paul makes it clear here, we forgive because the Lord forgave us. None of us deserve to be forgiven. And most of the people in our life will never ask and they'll never deserve to be forgiven. It's time to forgive and release them. It says, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude 
in your hearts. And whatever you do, now listen to this. This is what we added this week. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you are cooking a meal for people, we need to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him. If you are working and making widgets at work, building buildings, fixing plumbing, tending to people's medical needs, teaching people in a classroom, whatever it is that you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, word or deed, not only your word, but how you do it, the attitude of how you work, it needs to be all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Can I tell you that will transform the workplace that we're in, transform the marketplace that we're in? But more than that, it's not going to change your circumstances, at least not right away. But it will do is begin to change your heart and the way that you look at your circumstances. And I guarantee you, if you obey the Lord, you will discover what he is wanting you to do and what he wants to do in you. And your obedience will release the work of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment. That's what God wants to do. When I've worked with people that are really full of the Spirit that have grasped this principle, working with them is a joy. It's just a delight. It transforms the workplace. It transforms the marketplace. How can we say, how can we come and worship on Sunday morning and talk about how good our God is, how great He is, and then on Monday morning be complaining about our boss? Complaining about our work? Complaining, God, I don't have enough of this, or you didn't do this, or you didn't do that. Folks, I have seen people go in with a different attitude, change their attitude, their hard attitude in a work situation, and I've watched it totally shift the environment. And I want to tell you that what the Lord said to me, is he wants to do that with some of you. God is waiting to do that in your life. If you will grasp this, and you will be people full of thanksgiving and praise, ready to bring the fruit of the Spirit into your workplace, into your model, wherever you are. Does that make sense? You say, but you don't know how hard it is. Mary never helps me. The world tells us that we need to passionately find our vocation, and God tells us to find our passion for Him in our vocation. And there's a difference. Instead of Looking for fulfillment in your work, where do you find your fulfillment? In Christ. In Christ. In Paul's day, and he writes this in some of the letters, some of the people he's writing to are actually slaves. And he says things to them like, Slaves, you need to honor your masters, and you need to work not as unto them, but as unto the Lord. Well, guess what happens? When you start working as unto the Lord, who's your master? Hello. (laughs) Jesus was saying, you can be free now. You're going to be free when you get to heaven. You're going to be free in my kingdom uh, when it's revealed. But I want to tell you now, there's freedom if you work with the right heart and the right desire. Instead, some of us are walking under a cloud. And the Lord is saying, I want to lift that. I want to change who you are. I want to change where you're at. Prophet Jonah is a good example of someone who lost God's perspective in his work. Pretty extreme. Nobody wants to get eaten by a fish. (laughs) And by the way, throughout history, there are actual examples of people in the 19th century, especially in whalers, that were swallowed by a fish and rescued days later. So if you think that story can't happen, there's actual stories. One story I read, the guy came out and his skin was all white from the digestive 
juices of the fish. I'd rather eat fish than be eaten by a fish. That's my statement. So I want to obey the Lord. Are you, you catching this here? Eugene Peterson, the guy that wrote the message, says this about Jonah. He says, Jonah's sulking disappointment came from a failure of imagination, a failure of heart. He had no idea what God was doing. Can I ask you a question? Do you have an idea of what God is doing where you work? Do you have an idea of what God wants to do where you work and where you live? Or are you living under the idea that it's just always supposed to be this way? He goes on, he says, as he had no idea what God was doing, the largeness of his love and mercy and salvation, Jonah had reduced his vocation to his own performance, and he was in the right place doing the right thing, but he interpreted everything through his Jonah ideas and his Jonah desires. I thought that was good. I want to invite God into every moment of my life and say, Lord, what are you doing here? What are you wanting to do? Now listen, we all have challenges. We all have things that we run into. We need to stop and we need to ask that question. We're going to have a conference here on October 5th. I'll do a commercial here, Church for Monday. By the way, that conference is going to be some of the top people around the country that talk about transforming the marketplace, the workplace, and and seeing God work through your vocation. You need to be there, please. And if money's an issue, tell us and Greg will loan you the money. And if Greg won't loan you the money, Michael will. See, I just saw that. We'll work it out. You just come and talk to us. Tom Nelson pastors Christ Community Church in Leewood, Kansas. He had a transformation in his life, and I'm reading a bunch of books now. His book is one book I have peeked at, and I need to get in and read the rest, but it's a powerful book about uh, neighborhood economic transformation. And you go, what is he talking about? He says this in an interview. He was interviewed, and he talked about going through a whole season of repentance and realizing that he had failed the church. And uh, in some ways, this has been part of my legacy. I've had a battle with this as well, and I'll share that in a moment. But he says this, he said, I would call it, quote, I would call it theological malpractice. It wasn't intentional. I graduated from a very fine seminary. I grew up in a Christian home, and I love my tradition. But after being a pastor a while, I realized that I was spending the minority of my time addressing what the congregation did for the majority of their lives. This Sunday to Monday gap was theological. How I understood how the gospel speaks into all of everyday life, I missed the integral nature of work in God's story in Scripture. When I realized this, 10 or 15 years ago, I stood up before my congregation and said, hey, I want you to forgive me because I've not been the pastor I should be based on the vocation God's called me to. That I have not spent the amount of time that I should be equipping you for what you do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. That's going to change from now on. Early in my ministry, people would say, Pastor Tom, I'm not a missionary. I'm not called to be a missionary. I'm not a pastor. I'm not called to be a pastor. Would you please tell me that my work matters? I feel like a second-class citizen, and I didn't really hear them theologically. I heard them trying to connect Sunday to Monday, but it didn't click. When I woke up to how I was failing them theologically and pastorally, they got excited. Their calling to the arts or to the home or to a corporation or to a school is not a second-class calling. God is really about that. People appreciate the affirmation and my honesty that I missed for a long time. Now you're saying, what in the heck does this have to do with Martha? 
It has everything to do with Martha and her attitude and what was happening in her heart. Too often what the church has done, it's taught people how to survive and how to be somebody on Sunday, but we haven't done a good job about equipping people who they're supposed to be on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It's become so bad in so many ways that sometimes we as very religious people act one way on Sunday, and on Monday, our employees or our people that uh, we work for or the people that we work with would never have an idea that our lives were committed to the Lord Most High and that we had this revelation from God that he had a purpose and design for our lives that set us apart from anybody else in the world. And I think this is something the Lord is wanting to engage in us right now. The whole idea that Martha could have done that whole meal and serving as a sacrifice to the Lord, as a joyful giving to the Lord and to her sister, as a, as a uh, thing of love, never occurred to me when I was younger in the Lord. And the Lord is telling me now, this is one of the main parts of the story. Yeah, maybe Martha should have dropped everything and been at the feet of Jesus too, and then later they could have just had a later meal. I don't know all those dynamics. I don't want to get into that. All I know is many of us in our work lives and our vocational calling are off base, offended, and disconnected from the Lord. And he's saying, I want to reconnect you. I want to restore the joy in what you're doing. Some of us, that means we need to go back to the Lord and we need to speak to him. When we serve God with joy, there's a power that's released. Some of you went through the book with Pat a year ago, Rosaria Butterfield, and talking about her transformation from being a radical lesbian um, feminist professor and how she, by going to the home of somebody that, another professor, that she had offended, and this guy forgave her and invited her into his house, and she experienced the love and the presence of God, and she said, I'm not supposed to like these people, but she said, I want to go back there. And she did go back again and again. And finally she says, I'm starting to believe what they believe. And she committed her life to Christ and she said, Jesus, I don't know what I'm going to do with my feelings and my life and everything I did. All I know is that you're the Lord and I want to walk with you and I want to walk with these people. All because people prepared meals and loved her. Hospitality. But Rosaria Butterfield talks about the joy that she had, even though she lost her position because she was the head of gender studies, so that didn't work all of a sudden. (laughs) And she ended up going to Geneva College in western Pennsylvania, where my daughter went for a while. But she she went down there, but she said the joy, if you read her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key and some of her other books, the joy of learning to work for the Lord and connecting what I did to who I was created to be and who I was in the Lord was totally different than the work and the satisfaction I had before. We're going to go to the communion table in a moment. And I felt like we needed to move the service around a little bit today. Um, But before we do that, I just want to take a moment just to listen to the Holy Spirit. Can we do that? Lord, let your words sink deep into our heart right now. We've all heard the word, Lord, but all of us are in different places. We all have different needs. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would take the word and apply it in our hearts right now. 
Oh, God, we love you so much. Lord, I just pray right now that anybody who's stuck in a place where they are offended, the Lord is telling me there are some here, you're offended because the Lord hasn't met your expectations. Things haven't turned out the way you wanted them to. And you've been afraid to talk to him about that. So you're carrying this offense in your heart. And the Lord is saying you need to be honest with him as David was, respectful but honest, and talk to him. And the Lord wants to heal your heart. God wants to re activate a joy in serving him and whatever our vocation is. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, before we come to your table today, we want to say to you, Lord, that we forgive people that have offended us, not because they're worthy, but because you've forgiven us. Would you do that right now in your hearts? If there are people, if there's a Mary in your life that was not there when you needed her to be there or she didn't meet your expectations or you felt like it was maybe it was the Lord and he didn't see you in that moment and you're saying, I was offended that you didn't see me, Lord, and the Lord did see you. And he was wanting you to look at him all the time. This is, a, this is a moment to realign our hearts with the Lord, whether it's forgiving the Lord, releasing offense that we have toward him, or whether it's offense that we have toward other people. You say, can the Lord offend me? You better believe it. Jesus' word offended people all the time. The decision was whether or not we were going to work through it and obey him and come to him. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just thank you for this time together, Lord God. Reveal the glory of the living God in us, Lord, this week, Father. Lord, wherever you may take us, Father, to our schools and our places of work, Lord God, let this message resonate in our hearts, Lord God, Father, that we can be, Lord God, the living vessels that you've called us to be, Lord God, the light that shines in the darkness, Lord Jesus that men and women will be drawn, Lord God, because of who you are in our lives, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Well, Ivan gave us a good benediction. So let's go out and let's obey the Lord and do what he's called us to do. Is the Lord speaking to you? Amen. Let's be obedient. Hallelujah. Let's go in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.